electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Oil prices rising after Saudi Arabia announced supply cuts for August. Jeff Curry of Goldman Sachs says the entire commodity complex is lacking investment. We need a lot of money. You know, it's close to 20 trillion, whether it's the green and the brown, but we're not seeing it. A growing list of billionaires and CEOs are unloading stock at an increasing rate after little activity this year. CNBC's wealth reporter Robert Frank. They've sold over $9 billion worth of stock so far this year. Plus, the markets brace for inflation data, the year of the Fed, and the threat of two strikes on one industry. I just know I'm no scab, okay? It's Tuesday, July 11th, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live at the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee alongside Joe Kernan. Becky and Andrew are off today. Let's take a check on USA. First up today on the podcast, it's July. It's the somewhat quiet week after July 4th, and the markets are in wait-and-see mode. After a roaring first half of 2023, the S&P 500 has cooled in early July, shedding more than a percent last week. And a strong jobs report is leading investors to expect the Fed will resume its rate-hiking campaign after last month's pause. But one technician expects a rally, and soon, on our TV broadcast yesterday, Fundstrat Global advisors Tom Lee said the S&P could jump 100 points following a lighter-than-expected inflation reading this week. Markets move a lot around the CPI report, so that's always a big market event. And we thought a tactical sort of opportunity was emerging because last week the market sold off because the jobs reports are strong, yields really popped. So investors are kind of fed higher for longer, a little bearish into this week. And I think Core CPI could come in at 0.2 or better, so it could be a huge downside surprise. June's consumer price index is due tomorrow, Wednesday. Economists expect the core reading, which excludes food and energy costs, to increase 0.3% from the prior month. Positioning for that uh, number tomorrow, the Mm -hmm. bond market and the stock market. Is there whisper numbers for CPI? There are. I don't know whether Tom Lee's the whisper guy, but... uh, If Tom Lee is the whisper guy, then... uh, He said two and a half core, because uh, finally a break in used car increases. Right, but he also said 100 points on the S&P 500 the next week. He did, in the next week. And you heard about, I don't know if you're watching, but what I said to him is, you know, Tom, you've been doing this a long time. You should know by now, you don't make one-week calls. It's too short-term. Joe Granville, and I told Tom yesterday, he was a great technician, one of the greatest, and he was right about the big market crash back then in 1981. It was a 28-point crash in the Dow, honest to God. That's what it was. This huge sell-off was 28 points back then. Hmm. But he, he got a big head and started dressing at one point in a pharaoh outfit and predicting earthquakes. He went to his head. He lost his mind. <laughs> so you're saying that that could happen to Tom? I'm just saying Tom is talking about 500000 on Bitcoin or 200000 or yeah. something. But he was right 
the first time on Bitcoin, when it was right, back right. to 4,000, and he kept saying 20,000, and I don't think he was allowed on our air for a while. Uh, the car, the, he so he definitely fell out of favor. Luck. Huh? Uh, I think he might be right. I do, because he, he, he's so, well, I think he might be right about the CPI. And he might be right that last week we got the new narrative was longer and higher. That's what we got from those two jobs reports, even though right. the second one wasn't so strong. Higher for longer. Higher for longer. And although, he says that's although, not. Although, higher for longer has been out there. I mean, that's what the Fed has been it, trying it to pressing. And maybe finally the markets have come around to believe the bond higher market. for longer. The bond market, right. suddenly we're 5% right. on the 10-year, like, oh, or 5% on the two-year, 4%. on. But now those have sort of given back, uh, the yields have given back some of the, uh, the, those gains. So, so we'll see. But he, he had a, a, a list of components of the CPI, and historically... X number are in a deflationary trend. And he said right now there, there are many more in a deflationary trend than typical. And that's why he thinks you could get a cool number tomorrow, which would give you 100 points on the S&P. Right. But what kind of setup is that going into earnings season? Which the consensus is that, that earnings season is not going to be great. Right. It's going to be something, that, right. that a headwind for the market that's got the, the S&P that's made it all the way to 4,400 somehow against all odds. You ever see against all odds? No. <laughs> I like the way you look at me. You're like, you're crazy. The Phil Collins song, Down in Mexico, sweating with, uh, what's her face, Rachel something or other. You never saw against all odds. You should uh, put that on your bucket list. Put, the, put Joe, that on your bucket list. And I'll get right on it. Shares of, uh, it, it's like something that you should have in your arsenal to be okay. able to talk about. All that right. was long before he was the dude. He was like a studly young guy, Jeff Bridges. Oh, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Big Lebowski. That yeah. I know. Okay. Yeah. James Woods was in this car chase and Ferraris and Porsches. Yeah, I'm writing it down. <sighs> the Fed's regulatory chief speaking yesterday outlining steps to strengthen financial cushions for larger banks. Michael Barr said in a speech that mid-sized bank failures this year have reinforced the need for humility and skepticism. We need to be skeptical about the ability of bank managers or regulators to anticipate all emerging risks. Events over the past few months have only reinforced the need for humility and skepticism and for an approach that makes banks resilient to both familiar and unanticipated risks. Under the plan, big banks could be required to hold an additional two percentage points of capital or an additional $2 of capital for every $100 of risk-weighted assets. Barr said banks will also face more difficult stress tests to gauge their ability to weather a hypothetical recession. I will be pursuing further changes to regulation and supervision in response to the recent banking stress, including how we regulate and supervise liquidity, interest rate risk, and incentive compensation. The new proposals are expected to be officially announced as soon as this month. In other Fed news, Barr and two other Fed officials said policymakers will need to raise interest rates further this year to bring down inflation. San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly said we are likely to need a couple more rate hikes. So we're balancing the risk to the economy going forward against the incoming information, which is about strength. And I am very, I was very supportive, um, in fact, a, a proponent of slowing the pace of tightening in and doing that by standing pat at the June meeting, but also recognizing, like the median of the SEP projections does, that we're likely to need a couple more rate hikes over the course of this year to really bring inflation back into a path that's a, a, along a sustainable 2% path. Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester said her view is in line with the Fed's median forecast for two more rate increases this year. 
See, I don't know how this affects me, is the thing. I don't know whether I'm SAG or AFTRA. I'm one or the other. I had to do one. Oh, you did? I had to, yeah. You've been in things. We talked about that last time, weren't you? In, yeah, you but in I didn't join any. I, didn't, I don't pay any dues. So Might can you be, be part AFTRA. of the union if you're, you don't pay I'm, dues? I just know I'm no scab, okay? So if, you, if I'm not here... Then if I'm not here, you're going to be out of the, the picket line. You'll know why if I'm not here. Hollywood actors could be joining uh, screenwriters on the picket line. The Screen Actors Guild and Hollywood Studios have just hours left before the union's contract expires at midnight. The contract had originally been set to expire June 30th uh, before it was ex extended to tomorrow. The deal isn't reached uh, and the actors go on strike. It would be the first time in 63 years that Hollywood actually had faced a two-union strike we're already dealing with uh <laughs> the writer's strike yeah which late night tv's not on oh no well it had it started before i know the show went on hiatus I, I not only do i not want to watch but i'm not up late enough to watch right but some people do See watch. that cutting edge political humor that's so hard-hitting always you know so so you're looking for something more so unpredictable and so brave AMC Theater says more than 20,000 members of its Stubbs loyalty program have purchased tickets to watch Barbie and Oppenheimer. We're calling it Barbieheimer uh, on the same day. The movies are scheduled to be released on July 21st. Fans have created their own artwork for the combined movies and are selling T-shirts and posters online uh, like this sold-out poster from LairdButter.com. And Mission Impossible is coming. Um, I... I said yesterday he's the biggest movie star on the planet. And to be the biggest movie star on the planet, you need to do your own stunts, I think. Otherwise, you, which he does. And you've seen some of these, the tape of this new one where he's on the motorcycle going No, he up did that, that himself? Does all that himself. Wow. He's a little off uh, with some of the stuff he decides. One of those scenes where he would, had done the, the parachute scene, or whatever, free falling, he had, he had to do it like a hundred times or something. To get it. Imagine, <laughs> the director's thinking, if we only had a stuntman, we could have done it in two takes. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. He's amazing. He's amazing. But I, like I say, I think he's, I don't know. I'm not, uh, the, um, can I just mention one thing? I wish we had some tape. It's your show. You're right. You're right. You mention anything you There's want. There's no betting, except for maybe the All-Star game. That's tonight. You know that, oh, okay. right? So what are you going to do since you Yesterday, bet. I bet on the, the home run thing, and Vlad oh. Jr. So you've looked a lot of time on your Here's hands something. now. No, you can bet on Wimbledon. And the reason oh. I mention this it's because there's an American who's just, it's a, there's a piece on him in the journal today. Have you seen him, Chris Eubanks? Heard Took him a while, 27 yeah. years old, five set win yesterday. I thought of taking him. The odds were it was like plus 600 or something if you took him. So you to, to beat, And I didn't it. do it. I didn't do it. But it's a great story. And I, I'm, you know, maybe betting on Wimbledon is, is the way. So? Is that too sort of, you know, with the royal box and all that, is that too gauche? Do you think to bet on? Because there's royalty involved? Yeah. Because they attend the game? The just match? Because it's, I don't know, it just doesn't seem like on the grass courts you should be betting. Just, but that's just, huh? I think it's more problematic you Prince, that, you, you think, that you desire so Prince strongly you to think, bet that you'll find anything to bet on. For the action. Yeah. For the action. For the adrenaline. I for bet. The, whatever it is, that you have a problem. You know, I had Vlad last night winning the home. Four dollars I had on him. You're obsessed. Four dollars, one twenty-five. I won twenty-five. <laughs> Cheese will be next. 
Coming up on Squawk Pod, oil prices have fallen this year due to a decline in inventories. But Jeff Curry, global head of commodities at Goldman Sachs, says investors, they aren't interested. What we've been waiting for for six months is finally beginning to play out. Inventories and oil are drawing. Chinese demand is back. The problem is investors are entirely absent. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Stand by, Joe. His mic. Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC Live from uh, the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Melissa Lee and really your home away from home, the NASDAQ uh, and yes. Squawk Box are both your home I feel away. very comfortable here. You, and uh, as do I, as do I, because I'm, uh, oh, because you do your show from here. Not right. Because. No, with you, too. Okay. Andrew and Becky uh, are are both off, as you can see. Oil rallied more than 4% last week on news that Russia and Saudi Arabia, the world's largest oil exporters, will cut production in August. For more, let's bring in Jeff Curry, uh, global head of commodities research at Goldman Sachs. We just saw you about a week and a half ago, I think, Jeff. Um, And and at that point, you 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 were explaining some, I guess, softness in, in crude based on uh, on supply, but the long-term bull case is, is more than intact, you told us at the time. Are we seeing the beginnings of that, or this is, this is not, uh, we're not quite there yet? No, we're, we're seeing it across all commodities. You know, um, you know copper is back towards 8,500, natural gas busted 270, oil's above, you know, $78 a barrel this morning. So um, what we've been waiting for for six months is finally pl- beginning to play out. Um, inventories and oil are drawing. Chinese demand is back to 15.9 million barrels per day. Time spreads are tightening, all indications of a bull structure. The problem is investors are entirely absent. Investor length is running around 5% of max right now. In other words, this is an unloved rally that is not part of um, you know, investors' portfolios right now. It's being driven by what's happening in the physical space. And I, and I think it's just, you know, it's just you know, the demoralization of false starts over the course of this entire year. This is not you know, the, the, the first time we've seen a run at this. You know, you go back to April, we took a run at 88 and then it collapsed back down. You know, our base case is that this current rally moves up into the mid 80s. You know, our end of year targets, $86 a barrel. Um, we think it can move into the low 90s um, next year. But I think part of the reason why people are unwilling to embrace it 
is they go, hey, there's a lot of uncertainty around the supply. It's being driven by you know, Russia, Iran, and um, 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 Venezuelan increases, really, the easy come, easy go. Um, and I think there's not a lot of faith in what's going on in China right now. Um, the other aspect I think that investors are grappling with is what we like to call the two-speed economy. Services is doing well, but manufacturing is weak. And oil is more exposed to services, but it also has the exposure to petrochemicals and manufacturing, which creates a big question mark. And I think that's why investors have been slow to embrace it. But we think you're going to continue to see the draws. To give you some numbers, high-frequency data, first week of July, put draws globally at 900,000 barrels per day. We think they're going to accelerate to 1.8 million barrels per day um, during the third quarter. And that's what's going to push you up into, into the mid-80s. And I think a big question mark of how high we go is how do investors embrace this? Earlier on, uh, on Worldwide Exchange, I saw Frank uh, talking about, you know, I was listening, but I, I'm not sure exactly whether he was talking about uh, the U.N. Secretary General or the IEA, but talking about oil demand and where we're going to be uh, in the future and energy demand. And it, I, the, I think the individual was saying we need $12 trillion of investment in fossil fuels to satisfy the, do you know which which numbers I'm talking about, Jeff? Can yeah, you? I mean, you could come up with. But by the way, and it, I, I don't like to split between the the fossil fuels and the green. We need a lot of money. You know, it's close to 20 trillion, whether if it's the green and the brown. But we're not seeing it. Even green has fallen to the wayside recently because higher interest rates make a lot of those green investments unprofitable. So we're lacking investment across the space. And I don't care if it's um, brown or green, um, you know, that's the core of the long-term story or copper production that's critical to, um, you know, the green capex. We're missing that investment across the entire commodity complex. And that's really core to um, this super cycle thesis. Um, one last point on supply, I think it's really important to keep in mind. And the IEA people have made this point is, you know, we're looking at euros approaching the price cap. And this is one thing I've been harping on for about a year now. These price caps are not, they don't make economic sense. Once you hit them and you go above it, you start to lose supply. It creates a backward bending supply curve, meaning the higher the price goes, the less supply you have, but which begets higher prices. So we got to be careful as, as we begin to hit that. Um, and because when you look out beyond that, um, you know, the supply situation on a forward basis starts to become relatively scarce. And the other thing, too, that we're seeing in Asia is that, you know, the OPEC plus production cuts, they're beginning to bite. You see it in the pricing. Um, so, you know, we're starting to see the supply side have an impact on prices. Obviously, it's an all in. We need an all in energy policy. By the way, and I want to say it's not just energy. It's like copper. For you know, the, okay. the, the copper but, but, story. But just returning to that. But just returning that, because the numbers aren't adding up for what, what we're being told to do and what we're going to need to do. We, we all enjoy this global economy that we have right now. And, and we all take it for granted, the way these you know, goods are traveling at, you know, basically at, at the speed of light to, to wherever they need to be uh, globally. And people have heat, and, and the, the rest of the world wants to come up to the standard of living of, of developed countries. So how much barrels per day are we going to need in 2030? And what are we using today? I, I, that was what was in this earlier. It was, it was a lot more. Uh, it was a huge increase in barrels per day between now and, let's say, 2035. Do you know the numbers? 
Yeah, we're, we're running right now. So let's call it, you know, 101.5 million barrels per day. So where's it going? Um, you're going to at least exceed 105. Some people put it as high as 110 before you peak out in early 2030. Um, it means you need a lot more supply. I think the one key point here is the economics out there do not discourage um, the consumption of hydrocarbons. They, they try to stimulate green consumption through carrots, but there's no sticks to be able to slow down the consumption of the hydrocarbons, which means there's a lot of risk of this exceeding 105 million barrels per day. So we've got to keep investing. We but, but, but we're not. And you have said what, what we're at 82%. That's where we were 10 years ago on the, how yeah. much the global energy, 82% is fossil fuels. How much have we spent? And we're still at 82%. Somewhere around $3.8 trillion, and we haven't made a dent on the shares. And by the way, they had gone down about 1% before 2022. But 2022, we brought all that coal and, and um, oil production back online, and it creeped back up into that 82% range. So, um, you know, it, it, we've got a long ways to go. Um, in terms of making a big dent on the hydro, you know, hydrocarbon um, portion of our energy supply. You know, it's in, right now it's called an 82-18 split. Um, you know, net zero is a long ways away from here. It just seems like we could be, you know, I, I, I was looking up to see who the person was and I did find some of the stuff that the, the UN Secretary General said. He said, we got to get off hydrocarbons now. We got to get off. How do you say that with a straight face? Uh, it, it, the I, even the IPCC gives a timeline of how you unwind the, the hydrocarbon consumption, which they have it unwinding over decades, um, not immediately, um, because you're, when you're talking, you know, our estimates are, you know, upwards of six trillion dollars a year of green investment being made, needing to be made. Incremental green investment this year is over 15 trillion, excuse me, this decade. That's a lot of investment that, that is needed. And we don't even have the metals production behind that to be able to accommodate that kind of investment. Um, so there needs to be a big rotation of capital into this space to be able to accommodate the increases that are required. This is going to be one of the biggest investment endeavors the world's ever ventured on, and we haven't even started. Well, as prices go up, maybe that everything will start going up in terms That's of- That's what needs to happen. And, and with the pullback, with concerns around China, it's taken a back seat. We're back to the same environment we were two years ago, where tech's think, driving you, everything and energy's in the back seat. Are we going to see blackouts? Power blackout. I'm not going to go that. But, you know, you get a hot summer here in Europe, um, you know, places like France with uh, problems with the nuclear um, and, you know, you get a drop in wind, uh, you know, production, you know, th those types of, you know, shortages could occur again. All right. Jeff Curry, thanks. I don't It just seems like we're like ostriches. We're, we're like saying we need this and it's just it's not, it's not based on on, uh, you know, reality. It's like some. Yep. Fantasyland. Thanks, Jeff Curry. Great. Thanks, yeah. Thanks for having me. Next on Squawk Pod, America's billionaires are cashing out. CNBC's Robert Frank. Only about a billion dollars of purchases by insiders this year. That's about half what it was at the same time last year. And again, pales by comparison of the nine billion in sales just by the top billionaires. More after this. that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. Go, give it to you. How about that? 
That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Let's go, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. Welcome back to Squawk Pod, today with Joe Kernan and Melissa Lee. Here's Melissa. Now to the growing list of billionaires and CEOs unloading stock at an increasing pace after little activity last year, Uber CEO becoming the latest high-profile corporate leader to sell shares. Robert Frank joins us now here on set with just how much has been sold so far this year, Robert. Sounds like a lot. It is a lot, Melissa. If you look at the America's top billionaires, they've sold over $9 billion worth of stock so far this year. The Walton family, those are heirs to the Walmart fortune, topped the list with nearly $4.5 billion of sales. Rob, Alice, Jim, and Lucas Walton, all beneficiaries of those sales. Now, the family typically sells to stay under their pledged ownership threshold at Walmart as they continue to buy back those shares. Many of the biggest sales, though, are in tech. Joe Jebbia, the billionaire Airbnb co-founder, cashing in nearly $900 million in shares. Those shares up over 50% this year. Oracle stop up uh, up 35 percent this year. That's made Larry Ellison 38 billion dollars richer. And he's got a lot more pocket change after he sold 848 million dollars of stock after exercising options. Oracle CEO Safra Katz also selling 470 million dollars as she exercised her options. Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff, Palo Alto Network CEO Nikesh Arora and three board members of NVIDIA, also big sellers. Moderna CEO Stefan Bonsell selling over $300 million of stock in the first half. That came after $400 million of stock sales by him last year. And finally, Josh Harris selling another $210 million of Apollo stock. That, of course, will help him pay that $6 billion price tag for the Washington commanders. Yeah, that's a lot to to raise. Um, Have there been buys of stock? Not as much. Only about a billion dollars of purchases by insiders this year. That's about half what it was at the same time last year. And again, pales by comparison of the nine billion in sales just by the top billionaires this year. But a lot of them were founders, so they didn't acquire and didn't have to buy the shares. That's they right. Got the shares. They had so a low basis. I don't know, that's really not Apple's. Tap. I don't know if you can use this as a insider selling versus insider buying, right? Well, it's an indicator that they don't, you know, inside, you've had some high-profile purchases, the CEO of Schwab, the CEO of Live Nation, Twilio, they've all bought shares very publicly. Let me know what, but, let but me know what it, Charles Schwab is doing, not what the CEO of Schwab is doing. The, the CEO is, is the yeah, one that bought Charles, the shares. Yeah. Right, exactly. Um, but, but I think it's just a, another indicator. These are the people who have the best information about their own companies and the best information about the value of their shares. And so... There's some sales going on. Market picks no, up. No, I know. It's an opportunity. Well, you know, Eastman Kodak, what was his name, Carp, thought, you know, he had to buy a lot of stock at 80 bucks. Got to buy it. And Imelt, again and again, buying GE shares on the way to single digits. So they, they may or may not know. Right. That, well, and, and a lot of it may be for public, especially when you're buying stock. It's for or with ID. Whereas selling is kind of is a little bit different, often related to what they're doing with their own personal finances as opposed to what's happening with the stock. All right. Robert, thanks. Good Thank to you see guys. you. Robert Frank. North Carolina. Built more big house. The top state. Did you have a, a I just said fight? North Carolina was my guess. The yeah. biggest house Vanderbilt ever Vanderbilt built um, 
the biggest one that, that the claim to fame is built Biltmore. in North Carolina. Yeah. But there's a big one, Fairleigh Dickinson. The mansion there was a plumb. There are a lot of Vanderbilt homes, which there's is like why there are no Vanderbilts with money anymore. Rhode Island. Because yeah. all the Vanderbilts squandered it on these giant homes. I know, and you can only sit in one room at a time, right? I, never, I don't understand that. And that is Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Thanks to Melissa Lee for joining today. You can tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern and get the smartest takes and analysis and interviews from our TV show right into your ears when you follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you right back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com.